Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that help shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? You don't. What was that? A Mazda. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, freeform discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got caught. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. It's a word that um, has been, I think, appropriated in ways that I don't like. What uh, word? Allies. Hmm. I, I, right, I right. think, and, and, I, and I don't mean to kind of uh, degrade or be uh, derogatory towards those who claim to be allies of one thing or another, but an ally... Uh, an ally often now has a more positive connotation than it actually should have, if that makes any sense. Tell me more about that. That, that, in, right, order to right, be a, right. that in order to be a proper ally, in order to be a proper ally, mm-hmm. you have to be in complete agreement and in complete lockstep with somebody. That it's like you have to, you know, check off the list in order to be, a, you know, be a good ally. And it's like, no, you just need to be an ally. The idea that we've talked about this from the beginning of Cargo Cult, which, by the way, we're on right now. Hey, Justin Wellborn, how you doing? I'm good, Jimmy Mack. How are you? So one of the things about Ally is that we've talked about on this show the idea of the chronotope, right? About moving through time and space to get to a destination. Sure. The objective, of course, is always the point of moving through time and space. You know, whether it is to deliver the beer, whether it is to cross into Mexico and sell <laughs> guns, whatever. And by the way, on today's episode, we're going to actually explain to you why Mexico is the solution to, to everything. everything. But at least in the movies that we're talking about. But if you think about, like, you know, if you think about World War II, the idea that you know Stalin was an ally of both British and American. This is how I always relate to the word. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe it's because I'm a you know the son of a historian. But allies is something that we fight together, but we don't necessarily agree with exactly. one another. We are fighting a common enemy, even though we are a disparate people. Exactly. I mean, and I've always said that the uh, the the Battle of Winterfell is a great example of allies. <laughs> is a great example of. I mean, whereas in sure. you know whereas in Lord of the Rings, I mean, look, they have some differences, but they're. Really on the same side. We are all good. Yeah, yeah we, we yeah, are yeah. all the good. The Dothraki, not good people. Not good people. You know? Dothraki are not good people. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you, there's a lot of people in the in you know in the north that aren't good people either. There uh, are yeah, tribes in the uh, north. They they skin people. Yeah, the I mean, flayed man. <laughs> I- exactly. I mean, so that allies merely means there is an army of the dead coming. So we're going to put aside all of our differences. There's an episode of I Claudius where basically everybody hates everybody else until the barbarians overrun the Roman legions, and, and every- then we pull our sandals. together. Together, put on our little leather mini skirt and grab our gladiuses and head out. So we've always talked about on Cargo Cult the idea that we've been going through Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's journey, and one of the most Loosely. important, yeah, one <laughs> of the most important things about a hero's journey is that often heroes don't make those journeys alone. Uh, right. Along the route towards their objective, as they move through the chronotope, we're all putting it together here. They have to get people to help them. Obstacles get put in their way, and sometimes those obstacles cannot be overcome unless you have the help 
of an ally. It does not always mean right. the ally is a likable person, right. a good person. They simply have common interest. I don't like you, but at least you're not that guy. Yeah. At least you're not the Sphinx. At least you're not the Dragon Small. Yeah, the new movie, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, is a perfect example of all of that. Probably where those sort of mythologies uh, had some of their origins yeah, and the, in our particular language. And the know? idea is that I don't like goblins. I really don't like dwarves <laughs> and I really don't like men and um, I don't like elves, whatever you want to say. But at the end of the day, I don't like goblins. Yeah, so we will put aside our differences. Let's bind together and hope the eagles show up. Yeah, and hope the eagles show up. And basically, that's what it is. I mean, that's what allies are. Allies are not like, well, I've always said there's a great joke. Um, at some point, somebody's going to go around looking for allies and need them and uh, make them take a litmus test and then they're going to find themselves not having allies and losing. And, right. and that's about as close as political mm. as I will get, only to kind of reclaim the word ally for what it is. I don't like you. You don't like me. We don't always agree. But, but you know, that guy, but that we're going to bust him up We're going to bust him up again. <laughs> so that's kind of our baseline for allies here. And in a lot of ways, the man we're talking about today, who we talked about in previous episodes as the director of both Ride the High Country and the director of, uh, more importantly, The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch. Sam Peckinpah was as crazy and as unhinged and as problematic a director as you possibly could imagine. Justin and I were watching a movie. We'll get to that in a second. The other night, he actually appears in that movie we'll be talking about. <laughs> and I looked at him on the screen. And by the way, I said he's the same age that I am. Which is insane because he looks like he's at least in his early 70s and, you know, Shot to all hell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he just burned through. Actually, after the movie we're going to do today, he was uninsurable. I mean, they literally just said, he's so problematic. Even the great Sam, we just, we can't insure you, pal. As Lloyds you know? of London, you know, we always make the joke about the Lloyds of London scenario. We're not covering that. Yeah. And and literally no. it's that. I mean, Sam Peckinpah gets his start in television as a uh, a TV director of stuff like The Rifleman, Combat, all that stuff. Same route that Robert Altman takes. The big Hollywood renaissance of 1967 to about 1980. It really kind of collapses. There's a Western that collapses it as well. But that whole thing about the director is auteur, you know, all those famous directors. Yeah, Francis they suddenly Coppola. start moving those artists out, man. But what problems? But they, they come from they come from two places. Those great directors come from two places. The first of which is the film schools and the Roger Corman kind of sure, action. You know, right. where you have Martin Scorsese from NYU and Francis Coppola and George Lucas from UCLA, uh, Steven Spielberg from uh, Santa Clara. Right. You, you you literally have what I call the college guys. Right. The Whiz kids and then college. you got the journeyman, John Milius from USC, and all that. The journeyman come from TV. That's exactly and right. That's when even, you get even George Romero over on the East Coast comes. You know, did Mister Rogers? Everybody did these shows. They were yeah. working in public working television and on network television. Author Penn, Robert Altman, Sam Peckinpah all come from TV. And the great advantage of coming from TV that allows Hollywood to reset is that if you work in TV, you could work quickly. Right. That literally yeah. you're directing yeah, yeah, yeah. hour long, hour long combat. Yeah, shows. you've got a you've got a set list. We gotta get this done in this amount of time. Boom. And, and they'll the, do it. And the speed at which they could work then allows them when they get a little bit more time and just a little bit more money and a little chance to kind of show their vision to do stuff like Bonnie and Clyde and the Wild Bunch and MASH. And we can go on for a little bit with this. The idea that there is an opportunity for these men. Older men, part of the revitalization of Hollywood is not just 
these young whiz kids out of college, but these old guys, these kind of, you know, craftsmen, these journeymen yeah. who finally get a chance to ride the high country. Right. See what I did there? Nicely yeah, done. Um, nice, man. Nice. So the guy we're talking about today, Sam Peckinpah, is a guy that basically kept as Paul Schrader, the film historian and the author of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, pretty good filmmaker in his own right, said Sam would always puke and rally. He would always drink himself uh, into a really dark place, uh, blow up his career, and then pull himself together and go film like the Wild Bunch in Mexico. Sure. Or do a couple f- lines, head out to Mexico. Well, well, actually, not do the lines. The lines are what gets him in trouble in the end. So Sam Peckinpah is, um, let's just say, a guy who is as close to a tough guy or tour as you ever could imagine. Yeah, he's very Hemingway-esque. He even looks hemingway Yeah, I mean, there's you something know? about yeah. him. He's a, he's, a, he's a crotchety guy that in the Wild Bunch, he was really unhappy with the way the gunfights were going, and he grabbed a pistol, turned to a wall, opened fire into the wall, and said, I want the bullets to do that when they hit people. Not thinking that anybody can be on the other side of the wall, not really caring, just not really absolutely caring. like, a, a total, this is what I freaking A total want. maniac. And of course, the wild bunch establishes his bona fides, and then he sets off on kind of an adventure where he's able to start making the kind of movies he wants. And in that collection of films are things like Cross of Iron, which is a remarkable oh, film. so good. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, right. which is another great movie. Actually, stars Chris Christopherson and James Coburn. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, Garcia. which I would argue is Peckinpah's version of Eight and a Half. That is literally, I would argue that the whole thing of taking a head for $50,000 back to a drug dealer who's going to make a million dollars off of it is in fact... I mean, it's a grim scam. A metaphor, a <laughs> metaphor about making movies. You know what I'm saying? That a broken down piano player is paid money to bring the head of one drug dealer right. to another, and he's the one getting the least amount of money despite doing most of the work. Boy, that sounds an awful lot like Hollywood, doesn't it? That's a big chronotope film. He got a chance to make all these kind of movies all throughout the 70s, including Killer Elite. Which we have covered. Which we have covered. Gratuitously. (laughs) Gratuitously covered on this show. Um, By the time we get to the end of the 70s, he really is on his last leg. And I mean his last leg health-wise. He is not only drinking, but as you said, he's doing rails. He's doing rails and quaaludes. And quaaludes. So, you know, not only am I going down, but I'm going up. And I'm using alcohol to level off. And he needs money. And it's 1977, 1978. He is 53 years old. 53 years old. And I keep on thinking. I I think I look old. I look in the mirror and I go, I look at Sam Peckinpah and go, I'm doing fine. (laughs) I'm doing fine. I'm not a rolled up piece of grizzly leather. So. Well. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Although I'm really good with the sunscreen, which gives me AARP points. By You've the only way. been out here about a year now. Just, just, I'm, just I'm really wait. good about here it, though. It I'm, I'm good about oh, it, though. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm solid. I, I really I want to get my AARP points. I, I want to get those points. I'm a member of AARP now. Great, man. Which is terrifying. Great. Yeah. But at least I'm not as old as Sam Peckinpah <laughs> was at 53. <laughs> So, Soulfully old. so we did the 77 show where we talked about the two big money makers of uh, Smokey and the Bandit and Star Wars. Together the, at last. Together right, at last. Right, right, we right, actually right. brought them together for the first time. Now, of course, Sam Peck and Paul was looking to make money, as you just pointed out. He's needed money. He's broke. Yeah. I mean, just all the drugs, all the mishaps, all the just grisly adventures. You can just see him in Hollywood just uh, trying to pull it together, you know? So there are two ways to make money now in Hollywood. Is Hollywood is beginning to change from an auteur kind of right. mentality to what I call the Big Mac um, filmmaking. Pauline Kael always said that as marvelous as Jaws was, and she has a great line about that where she says that Jaws is what uh, Sergei Eisenstein would have been if he hadn't out-intellectualized himself. And 
Star Wars and this growing sense of how do we begin to market mass-produced movies, there's no way Peckinpah is ever doing a sci-fi movie. No. So if if Sam Peckinpah, if ah. Sam Peckinpah cannot do a, if Sam Peckinpah cannot do a sci-fi movie, I guess it leaves him, Justin, only one option. Well, if you can't go um, to a galaxy far, far away, you can always hit the highway and maybe make your way towards Mexico. So given the success of Smokey and the Bandit, it only made sense for a big cash-in that Sam Peckinpah might take another direction, might he not? He needed money bad, didn't he? Oh, man, broke. I mean, just broke his smoke. He was so ready. And it, what's really crazy about this is he succeeds. In making the dough with this with this movie, but at the same time, it's it's still a failure for him. He's still not able to to bring himself back from the brink. It it doesn't it it it, it, it makes, doesn't solidify his career. It doesn't solidify him financially. You know, he made it for this amount of money, and then just you know, like made it for twelve and made forty five million at the box office. But which, in inflationary terms, is one hundred and fifty million dollars. I mean, just a huge it's hit. It's a, a huge hit. A huge the hit. year after Smokey and the Bandit and Star Wars. But the problem was the problem was is that Smokey and the Bandit made an outrageous sum of money, and sure. there was the it also knew what it was. It, it knew, knew what, what kind of movie it was. It's an ad, it's a comedy adventure with a lot of winking at the camera well, with somebody so but lovable. It's a more disciplined movie. It. Sure, it's it a is. more it's a better movie. And and we haven't given you the title yet because we're going to let our friend Russ actually introduce <laughs> that title to you guys here in a second. But it's a it's a Smoking the Bandit is a better movie than the movie we're talking about today. I would argue there are moments in the movie we're talking about today that show a much more incredibly skilled filmmaker in regards to both the creation of character and um, montage editing every little fancy pants sort of I mean Smokey and the Bandit had a stuntman as a director which is great but you've got Sam Peckinpah and he knows people he's bringing people together uh you know his cinematographer um Harry Stradling Jr. is I mean he he ends up winning uh uh getting an Academy Award nom for 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 Cabaret yeah. You know, I mean, this. these are good people. These are skilled filmmakers. It, he has assembled an amazing team and not just an amazing team of people behind the scenes, but the people in front of the camera. Oh, are, are great actors. Great overall, actors, top to bottom. You know? I mean, that Sam knew. Sam knew, knew these I mean, people, literally you know? part of literally part of the idea that people had their little kind of ensemble groups, like just like you know, we always talk about the idea of you know, like the, the Italian filmmaker Fellini having his gang and the uh, the Swedish filmmaker. Sure, you look at Quinn, Quentin Tarantino these days. You look at any of those. I mean, Martin Scorsese with with Robert De Niro or Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. I mean, you bring around you the people that you know and you trust. Jimmy, have we been tap dancing around this movie for a while? I think we I, have. I, I think we've been we've been we've been teasing these folks out. So we gotta let them know what it is. They do you know yet? Do you know what we're saying? Thanks for listening to a preview of this episode of Cargo Cult. Like what you heard? Hear more from Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn exclusively on the SiriusXM app. Subscribe today at SiriusXM.com.